And then I think in the next couple of weeks, we are going to push a little bit deeper into 2 Timothy. So we are still going to push a little bit further with these letters to Timothy that Paul wrote to Timothy, but Dan today is going to wrap up 1 Timothy chapter 6. So let's make Dan feel welcome as a son in the house, as he's going to share the word with us. Testing, 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 am I on the right way? Morning, everyone. Hello, awesome privilege to share the word with you guys, as always. Have you guys enjoyed this series on the blueprints for the church? We've had some very practical messages, huh? I was just reflecting on this. I think the church faces its challenges in every generation, and in our generation, we've we've had many churches that um, unfortunately maybe have been prominent in the media that have faced their challenges and maybe have missed the mark in some way, and how important it is for us as believers and as a church, as a local church, to refocus and say, what are our values? What is core? What is so important? What are the things that we need to do right to make sure that we truly are the church that Jesus dreamed of? The church that makes an impact in this dark world, amen? So that's what he's called us to. He's called us to stand out and not just fit in and not just blend in. And this is a message this morning which is challenging. It's challenging to me personally um, because it speaks of a life that diverges away from the culture of our day. So can we pray quickly and then we're going to get into it. We are so grateful for your presence, Lord. Thank you for this time of worshiping you, of of enjoying just gazing at you, of singing your promises and your truths. And Lord, we just want to say that we're so grateful for your kindness towards us, your grace towards us, your mercy towards your children. Thank you that you're a good father. Lord, thank you that you you hold us, you teach us, Lord God, you uh, carry us on this journey of growing more and more like you. Lord, would you overwhelm us with your grace this morning as we listen to your word. Amen. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time, but this time I want you to imagine this title of my sermon, The Life That Is Truly Life. What comes to mind first if you had to think of your best life, the life that is truly life for you, what picture comes to mind? Is it an idyllic beach scene at sunset playing with family and friends, or is it maybe something more in the everyday, ordinary, hustle and bustle, something to do with your purpose. I want us to allow the Lord to speak to that picture for us, for each one of us this morning, because that is something that this passage of Scripture speaks about, taking hold of the life that is truly life. You guys can open your eyes And we are going to get into 1 Timothy 6, verse 11 to 21. 
And we heard last week about Christian contentment. And I'm gonna start there on the end of uh, the passage that we looked at last week, which is 1 Timothy 6 verses 10. It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And the previous passage talks about a formula, and Paul put on, a, uh, on the screen a formula that said something like this, godliness plus contentment equals great wealth. Godliness plus contentment equals great wealth or great gain. And now Paul is gonna carry on in the same vein, so this is a, a bit of a part two of last week's message, and he's gonna to start to hone in a little bit further into this area of how we deal with money, the topic of money and more and contentment. So here we go, verse 11. But you, so he's speaking about those that have wandered from the true faith, and then he says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The NIV says, so flee, everybody say flee. Flee from all of these evil things and pursue righteousness. Everybody say pursue. Pursue a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you, which you have declared so well before so many witnesses. Then we go into a section where it seems like Paul is wrapping up the letter to Timothy and the Ephesian church. And he's going to encourage and exhort and charge Timothy to carry on and to put into practice all the things that he's just been writing to him about, okay? So he says this, and I charge you before God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus who gave a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, that you obey his com this command without wavering, that no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. And then he goes on to the section where he says, hey, Timothy, you can do it, but remember who you're doing it for, okay? Verse 15, he says this, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Timothy, remember who you're serving. Remember why this is worthwhile. Remember why this is valuable because you're serving the King of all kings, the Lord of all kings, the only almighty God. He alone can never die and he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever. Amen. 
Sounds like the end of the chapter, hey? Sounds like the end of the letter. That, was, that would have been a good note to end the letter on, right? But then Paul had like an aha moment, I think. He was like, okay, well, you, know, you know when Steve Jobs introduces like his famous things, he's like, just one more thing. I feel like this was Paul's, just one more thing, all right? He goes on in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19 to say this. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Everybody say enjoyment. enjoyment. Wow. I'm so glad I saw that word here in this passage, that God is not saying that we can't enjoy the good things that he's given us. Did you know that God has given us the capacity to enjoy things? He's given us the capacity to enjoy good food, to enjoy design, craftsmanship, a beautiful product. Does anybody here like fast cars? Well, if you're able to afford it and you're blessed, then you can enjoy those. Does anybody here like good food? Well, then you can enjoy it. Does anybody here like good coffee? Yes. Then you can enjoy it. I had an amazing cup of coffee this morning. Thank you so much, Kathy and team. Woo! Isn't it cool to see that our Father God has given us everything that we need for our enjoyment? So what is he saying here to the rich? Let's finish the passage and we're going to come back. Tell them to use their money to do good they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life or so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Everybody say, take hold. Take hold. So this section talks to the rich, but the question that we have to ask ourselves is, who are the rich? Because it's very easy for me to find a little group of people that I can compare myself to and say, well, I'm not rich compared to this group of people here. I mean, look at these guys. Look at all the cool stuff that they're wearing right here. I'm not rich. <laughs> What about, what about those people? Okay, if I look at a bigger group, okay, oof, you know, maybe I am, I am a little bit rich. If you look at world statistics, they're quite scary, hey, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of poverty in our world. So a rough guideline is that if you are bringing home 5,000 rand a month, you're in the top 30% of the world's population of income. If you're bringing home as much as 20,000 rand a month for a family, you would be in the top 7% of the world's income. The point here is not who is this for? Is this for somebody else? This message can't be for me because I'm not as rich as my boss or the CEO of my company, right? The point is here to hear what God is saying to us as people who are stewards of things, of money, of wealth, of savings, of retirements, of all of these lovely things. Amen? 
So why is Paul picking on the rich? Is Paul saying don't be rich? No, he's not saying don't be rich. Is he saying it's a sin to be rich? No, he's saying to Timothy, teach them. Teach them because they have an extra responsibility. One wise superhero movie said, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know if you know, but I think that was actually a quote from Luke 12 that says this, when someone has been given much, much will be required from them. Spike Lee in Spider-Man stole that line. What does he want Timothy to teach the rich? He wants to teach them not to be proud, not to be arrogant. Okay, and what does that look like? It's very easy to identify proud when it's like, bring the champagne, Jeeves, bring it now. <laughs> You're like, no, that dude is, that's, he's off course. That guy, no place for that here at church, right? But then there's a more subtle pride in our riches that we talked a little bit about last week. A subtle type of arrogance, being self-sufficient, trusting in myself and my abilities to fulfill my needs. I'm a self-made man. I'm wise with my money. I've gotten this far. I can sort things out. We'll figure it out. And it doesn't sound that bad, but it can be a self-sufficiency that is an arrogance and a pride that doesn't allow room for dependence on God. What else does he teach them? He teaches them not to trust in their money. Yeah, money is a powerful tool. Money, money is very important in this world that we live in. There's a lot that we can do for good with money. But it is an unreliable tool. It can be here today and gone tomorrow. Maybe some of us here have experienced that firsthand. And to be honest, there are things that money can't buy. There are problems that money can't solve and can't fix. Don't trust in money. He says rather trust in God. Trust in our Father. Our Father who knows what's best for us. The challenge of a father who sees their child desiring after something that brings them joy and brings them happiness, but you know that if they keep eating all of that chocolate, this is not gonna be good for them now and in the long run, right? If they keep getting their way right now, they are not, it's not gonna serve them well as they mature into the rest of their lives. Whether it's chocolate or screen time or whatever it is, coming easy. Our Father wants, to, wants us to enjoy the good things of life, but He also wants to see us grow. He also wants to see us mature and he wants to see us becoming the people that he's called us to be. People of purpose, people of life, people of fulfillment, amen? So him just spoon feeding us blessings until we fat on blessings isn't gonna be a good father. It says, trust God. Enjoy what he gives us. We've talked about that. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to enjoy what you give us. And then it says this, very practical. Use your money to do good. 
be rich in good works. Here we find a new definition of being rich. This is quite cool. Imagine we were able to make that flip in our minds that being rich and being wealthy was to do with what I'm able to do with the money in terms of being rich in good works, being rich in what I'm able to bless others with, building the kingdom, being somebody who's able to provide for those that don't need. And then this one got me, be ready to share, always being ready to share with others. Because how many of you know that when that car guard looks at me with those big puppy dog eyes, I'm like, you know what, dude, I really, you know, I have a sharing heart. I'd love to share with you, but I just don't have any money on me right now. I've got nothing to give you. But Timothy says to the rich, be ready. <laughs> be ready to share. I need to actually put some effort into it. If I want to be somebody who's going to give and going to share, it can't just be on the spontaneous side, right? There has to be some effort that goes into it. Be ready, think about it, be diligent, prepare. How much can you afford to give? Set something aside. All right. We are gonna go back now and we're gonna look at the first part of this passage. So I want us all to stand up because we're gonna play a little game because yes, I still haven't grown up out of being a kids ministry leader. So everybody stand up and ideally you want to be standing next to somebody on your left and your right. So if you're not close to somebody, stretch out a little bit and move so that you've got somebody on your left and your right, okay? And if you're on the corner, Curl a little bit so that you've got that person on, on your side. You're gonna need a little bit of space. Now we're gonna play a game called flee, everybody say flee, Speed. pursue, Speed. take hold. Those are the three words we're gonna focus on this morning, okay? You guys ready? Flee, Speed. pursue, Speed. take hold. Okay, so now you might have played this game before. I want you to take your left hand and put it out like this. Okay, and I want you to take your right hand and I want you to put it on the other person's palm, okay? Now, has, every, has everybody played this game before? Okay, there's three things that you have to remember to do in this game. The one is flee. Now, because when I say go, you are gonna have to flee with this finger. Okay, because if you don't flee, something's gonna get you. Something's gonna get you, okay? You're gonna get caught up if you don't flee, right? Now, the next thing is that you need to pursue. So when I say go, you are gonna pursue the finger that's resting on your palm, okay? And the last one is? Take hold. Now. Your aim is to not get caught and to take hold, right? Everybody got it? Are we gonna have a practice run? Okay, remember, you're doing this all at the same time. It's multitasking. When I say go, go! (laughs) 
Okay, that was just a practice run. One more time. That was just a practice run. One more time. One more time. One more time. One more time. If you missed it, this is your chance to make amends. Okay? I'm going to give you on your marks now. You ready? On your marks. Get set. Go! Okay, take a seat. Take a seat. You may take a seat. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about these three words in Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6 verse 11. Flee, pursue, take hold, okay? New Living Translation says, run, pursue, hold tightly. So, let's talk about what Paul is asking us to flee. What life are we fleeing from, separating from, running from? I'll call this a life that is caught up in chasing the fleeting riches of this world. So Richard Foster says this, consumerism is a rival religious philosophy of what constitutes blessedness. That's interesting. It's a rival religious philosophy. The more I buy, the more I get, the more blessed I am. That is not the message of Jesus, amen? I need to flee from a life that consciously or unconsciously places my store of value, my sense of security and my sense of identity in what I have. I need to flee from a life that's infatuated by things, experiences, status, success, hooked on the drug of more, chasing the promise of satisfaction just around the corner. I need to flee from a life that buys into the culture that ranks and values people by the clothes they wear, the posh school they went to, the size of their patio, and how many lenses they have on the back of their iPhone. I believe there's an Apple event coming up. I'm, I'm not supposed to know that, but. Guys, none of us can take any of it with us as we learned last week. It's an important thing to remember. None of it's coming with. None of it's gonna last. I need to flee from a life that Jesus speaks about here in the parable of the sower. Luke 8, he says this, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. This picture of a fertile soil, so fertile that the seed is growing in that soil, but there's something else that is growing in that soil. There's weeds and thorns and thistles that are competing, that are taking the nutrients, that are competing for the sunlight, that are taking the oxygen, and this poor plant, it's there, but it never grows into the tall, powerful, strong tree that it's supposed to be. 
because of the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. Oh, Anna. So how do I know when I'm off course? This is one that really speaks to me. I know that I'm off course when I'm lying awake at night and instead of sleeping, I find myself going to Facebook Marketplace to find some new trinket or toy that is going to promise me happiness. And if you must know, the last week I've been looking for chest freezers. Because surely that's the answer to happiness in life, right? I know that I'm off course when I click on the emails that promise me an amazing sale on stuff that I actually don't need. I know that I'm off course. I know that I'm off course when I find myself watching YouTube videos about products that I can't afford. But then, oh, at the end, I see there that there's an option where you can pay it off over 36 months. You only have to pay double the amount in interest at the end, but you can have it now, right? That's when I know, personally, that I am off course. So what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, flee. Flee! Because if you don't flee actively, we are immersed in a culture that will catch us. There's a marketing culture, there's a consumerist culture that is actively catching us. So if we don't actively flee, we're gonna get caught. Right, the next word is pursue. Everybody say pursue. So we can't just stop at fleeing. What are we fleeing to? Once we create that, we've got a life that is organized around the system, and we flee from it, now there's a void, there's a gap there. And if we don't fill that void with something that's based on truth, then it's just gonna get filled again very quickly, right? So what does Paul say? He says, pursue something, run towards it, hunt it down, practice it. Don't grow weary in pursuing it. Don't grow complacent in pursuing it. Yes, you might not have done it this week. Yes, you might have had a bad day, but don't give up. Keep pursuing it. Pursue what? A righteous and godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Pursue a godly life right living. Paul spoke about this last week, having such a value on living in step with God and letting him shape our lives, that that would be something that we prize, something that we dedicate time towards, something that we dedicate resources towards in our lives, because we value that above a physical thing that we can hold in our hands. And that's quite a mind shift that we would start to place that value and pursue on something like that. When we have uh, a course that we can go on, it's a lot of time, that's a lot of resource that we have to put into something to learn more about whatever the course is, a marriage course, a men's camp, a ladies' camp, whatever it is. It's a lot of time and it's a lot of resource, but if I value it 
then I will put the investment in because it is something that I prize. Godly living, living with him, letting his values shape my life. The next thing is pursuing a life of love and faith. When I think of this, I think of people who have incredible life stories that have given their lives to living lives of faith and love, adventures, bold and daring acts of faith and love that God grew their capacity for love over time to a place where they were able to do amazing self-sacrificial things that made an impact on the world around them. And I think of that and I just think what a beautiful picture of a life that is full of adventure, that is full of fulfillment, that is full of the excitement of what God wants to do. And I desire to build a life and a life story that has that at the center. That instead of the millennial or the Gen Z antidote to stuff, which is I don't need stuff, I just want experiences. What about saying, I don't need a selfie with the Eiffel Tower. I wanna build a life story of acts of love, of acts of faith, of acts of building God's kingdom. Pursue a life of love and faith. Pursue a life of perseverance and gentleness. The Lord knows that he gives us chances to grow in perseverance every single day and gentleness. Anybody here get opportunities to grow in perseverance and gentleness every single day? Whether it be with your loved ones, whether it be with your not so loved ones at work, whether it be with the body of Christ, whether it be with your community, there are opportunities where, I think Anne mentioned it, we need to respond in the opposite spirit because that spirit that's coming at us is not one of love and not one of gentleness. That's an opportunity for me to practice this outworking. Everybody say, pursue. And the last one, take hold. So you've pursued it. Now you need to take hold of the eternal life that God has called to you, called you to. And later on, this is repeated. Take hold of the life that is truly life in verse 19. Eternal life. What is eternal life? Is eternal life the life that we will live one day once we've passed away from this world? Or does it start now? That's interesting, hey? A life that we need to live now is actually an eternal life is actually a life that's focused on things that will matter beyond the scope of this world. Isn't that quite a cool lens? See, because our salvation isn't just the upgrade to the gold hotel at the end of our journey, right? Our salvation is a complete change in our flight path that starts here while we're on this planet. Takes us in a completely different direction, hey? And that's the life that we need to live now, a life that's taking us in a different direction. And that direction is often swimming upstream compared to the culture of our age. 
So how do we do this? How? How do we take hold? We need handles. Because for many of us, this is something that we intuitively know because it's so baked into Jesus' teachings, the teachings of the Bible. And yet we live in the real world where we've got bills to pay, where we've got credit cards, where we've got admin to do around the house, where we've got to fix things, where we've got petrol to pay, which is now one rand 70 higher. Or sorry if you have a diesel car. We live in this real world. We have to think about clothes. We have to think about what's for dinner. We have to be good stewards of material things, right? This exhortation from Paul isn't saying, guys, go and live in a desert somewhere with a loincloth. That's not what he's asking from us, right? How do we apply this? So, to wrap up this morning, I wanna give us a couple of nudges along the lines of some spiritual disciplines and practices. We don't have time to go in depth at all, but a couple of nudges to spark some conversation that we can take into the life groups and do some personal research on, all right? So quickly, what are spiritual disciplines and practices? They are not virtues. They are not an end in themselves. They are not the goal. A discipline is something that allows us to build the muscle so that we can actually go and do the thing. And the doing the thing is following Jesus and becoming somebody who has love and faith and has perseverance and gentleness without having to have a, a monastery around us all the time in our daily lives, okay? So how do we build these muscles? So. The context of these things is that these are also not benchmarks. These are not things that you say, you either have to be at this level of this discipline or you're not making it as a Christian, right? They are disciplines of grace and they are start where you are practices. So you might be starting at zero or you might be starting at an established practice that's happening in your life and wherever we are, we start there and we trust that the Holy Spirit reveals to us what would it look like for me to take the next step in this journey of yielding to God. That next step that feels, whew, okay, that's stretching me, but it's something that I can practically do in this area. Does that make sense? So the first one I'm gonna talk about is Christian simplicity or simple living. So. Here's a definition from John Mark Homer. He says this. This is limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, and activities and social obligations to a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. He goes on to say this, that the opposite of a simple life isn't a complex life, but it's a superficial life. Yo, that's a hard hitting one. The opposite of a simple life isn't just a complex life, but it's a superficial life. 
Simple living helps us to resist the lie that happiness is found in material or even experience accumulation. It helps us cultivate a sense of enjoyment and contentment for the God-given simple pleasures of this life. I read a blog this week. The guy said he was challenged to write down 84 things that money can't buy. I wonder if we spent 10 minutes, how long our list could be. It's a good exercise. Maybe think about doing it this week. Listing all the things that we are grateful for that money can't buy. John Foster said this, Christian simplicity allows us to see material things for what they are, goods to enhance life, not to oppress life. Psalm 86, David says this, grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. This idea of a simplicity of life is that we start to understand the fact that when we have an abundance of things, an abundance of um, calendar appointments, an abundance of uh, apps on our phone, an abundance of endeavors that we have to do, there is a certain splitting of our attention and our focus which can in the end diminish us. And when it comes to possessions, we see that practically. If you come to my house and I'll show you my garage, it's getting tough to park the car in there, right? I'll make my excuses to you later if you come and talk to me, but I can't do that on the pulpit, right? But we see that, but we also have clutter in our lives. We have clutter in so many aspects. And this concept is that we start to look at our lives intentionally and we flee from the things that are trying to catch us and, to try and are clogging up that space and that time and that capacity. Too much stuff is a distraction to our mind and it's also a drain to our time and a capacity for other things. Simplifying what we own makes physical space but also mental space and time. And what do we need time for? We need time to grapple with that other part, which is pursuing, that list of things that we want to pursue. It's very hard to pursue when I don't have any mental space, calendar space, energy capacity to pursue those things. So I need to start with fleeing in order to give me some space to pursue. So here are some ideas. Now, this is a biblical concept and we'll see this in Jesus' life, but there are many other traditions, including a secular tradition called minimalism, which put some of these practices into uh, very practical steps, right? So you can go and you can look up, there are many Christians who um, are practicing this idea of minimalism in their lives. If you go and search for a man called Joshua Beckett, he's a Christian who writes on this topic. So one thing that we can ask ourselves this week is to go to our homes and say, what can I give away in my home? Are there any duplicates? 
Do I need more pairs of shoes in my cupboard than there are days in a month? This is the question I asked my wife this morning. She said, I'm going to children's church and you can preach to the rest of the congregation. (laughs) We're going to have that conversation. Do I need more t-shirts? Okay. Do I need things that maybe I might need one day if something happens? Do I need the things that I haven't used in six months? Okay. Can I find things that I look in my house and I say, like the uh, dear Japanese lady, Marie Kondo, this doesn't spark joy in my life. It's time to go out. You guys know who I'm talking about? Arigato Marie Kondo. Who might enjoy reading this book that's on my shelf? It's just sitting here, I've read it. Could somebody else benefit from it maybe? Maybe I can bless somebody with it. What are some of the things in my house that aren't just clutter and rubbish, but something that I can give to somebody that will be of value to them? It'll be generosity, but it'll also be practicing simple living and decluttering in my life. Luke 12, Jesus said this, sell your possessions and give to those in need. And if you look at the tents there, there's a continuous nature of that tense. Continue, continually be selling your possessions and give to those in need because this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Practicing generosity to the poor to build the kingdom. Here are some practical ideas. This is in a time where it is extremely hard to be generous. For most of us, we're in a place where our budgets have been squeezed by tough economic times, by high interest rates, and maybe we are looking at ways of cutting our budget just to get through and just to survive. And... Once again, it's an opportunity to just say, God, would you show me? What, what can I do in this season of my life? What would it look like for me to flee materialism and pursue you in this season of my life? So here's one or two practical expenses. As a family, could we discuss one expense that we could give up? Could be a meal. It could be a Netflix subscription. It could be something as big as your car repayments. You're gonna sell that car. And we take that money from that expense and we say, we're gonna start here. This is a place where we can start. And we're gonna take that money and we're gonna divert it to giving to somewhere in need. There's another concept of graduated giving. Concept of saying, as my income increases, I'm going to put a cap on just my lifestyle going completely out of control for this season of my life. So in this season of my life, I'm not gonna extend my lifestyle, but as my income income increases, I'm gonna start where I am with my giving and I'm gonna increase it by a percentage. And maybe you're starting at 0% and maybe you feel that you can increase that to 2%. Maybe you're starting at 10 and you can increase it to 11. 
Maybe you're already at 20% of giving to the church, to the poor, to the kingdom initiatives that we have around us. So John Wesley gave this amazing quote. He said this, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And John Wesley committed to living on 28 pounds a year in the 1700s when his income was 30 pounds. He said, I'm gonna live on 28. And years and years and years later, his income had multiplied exponentially because of book sales and things that he did to 1,400 pounds, and he was still living on 28 pounds a year. And why did he do this? Because he saw that people that were coming to God often would be lifted out of poverty, but then in that blessing, they would start to turn their hearts towards consumerism, materialism, and they would lose sight of who God had called them to be. The last one that I'm gonna leave with you is on the practice of the Sabbath, the discipline of the Sabbath. And this amazing quote from Walter Brueggemann, he says this, Sabbath is the refusal to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being. That I am going to yield one day to God to say, God, today I am going to put a stake in the ground to say, I'm not going to produce, I'm not going to buy and sell today because my life is not defined by this system. I'm gonna pursue and take hold of what you've given me and on that day, I'm gonna enjoy the good things you've given me. I'm gonna create space to enjoy the life and the blessings that you have multiplied in my life without the need to produce more, without the weight on me to consume more or to buy more and sell more. So, three little nudges in, in those disciplines and I'd encourage us to ask the Holy Spirit to work into our hearts and ask, what would the next step be? What could a next step be for me in the coming days, in my apprenticeship journey to Jesus? So let's, let's bring this message into a landing. Let's close our eyes. And I think we can just have one minute of responding time just in the grace and the mercy of our good father who loves us who desires us to live the life that is truly life that sees maybe how we so easily get distracted by the things and he gently redirects us he gently picks us up and he says I've got more for you there's a life that is truly life Flee those things that would make your life trivial and superficial. Pursue those things that would bring richness to your life. Keep pursuing, keep taking hold. Lord, this morning we, 
We yield our hearts to you afresh. Lord, we renew our vision and our reliance on you as our provider. Lord, we recognize where there's danger in this area in our lives. And we say, Lord, we are willing to go on a journey with you. We are willing. And if I'm not willing, Lord, I'm willing that you would take me on a journey to being willing. Believe that you have more for us. Believe that you are a good God. Believe that your kingdom is advancing. Lord, we believe that you are doing a good thing in us and through us in this nation and that you need a glorious church who stands strong for the values of the kingdom. Lord God, that are not distracted, not looking left or right, but are that strong tree that grows in fertile soil, not distracted by the weeds and the thistles. A tree that grows to provide shade for all around it. Thank you for your work in our lives. Amen.